My name is Glenn Kaiser. I'm the director of the Dolby Institute, uh, and welcome to our session today on Stranger Things. So I want to thank this amazing team from uh, Stranger Things season three that have come to join us thank here you, today. Glenn. Hello thank again. You. Uh, thank you, Governor. Yeah, Craig, Craig and I have done so many of these things together by this point. I don't want to talk to you anymore. We can finish talk each other's sentences. Yeah. Uh, Craig Hannigan, the sound supervisor and, uh, and re-recording mixer on the show. Uh, I'm just going to go down the line. Uh, Mark Patterson, the uh, dialogue uh, and music mixer. David Klotz, music editor. Uh, Angelo uh, Palazzo down there, uh, the sound effects editor. And also uh, Katie Halliday, sound effects editor. Thanks for joining us. So, uh, show of hands, how many people have seen Stranger Things 3? Wow, okay. Well, for the rest of you, spoiler alert, I'm sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> you're you're going to learn some things about the show. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, uh, in, in preparation for the conversation that I knew we were going to have today, I actually went and binged all three seasons in the past week, so I'm a little, I'm a little up Stranger to Stranger Things out. Yeah, what theories do you have, fan theories do you have about yeah. what's going to happen? Uh, I have no idea where things are going to go in for, but uh, I'm, I'm curious to find out. But I, you know, there have been a, Craig, you and, and David, I understand, have been through the show for all three seasons. Yeah. And one of the things that is really apparent if you watch them all back to back is sonically and musically how much bigger the show has gotten since the beginning. But can you talk a little bit about working with the Duffer Brothers and how you got involved with the show and sort of how it's evolved over the three seasons? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, um, like a lot of projects, I just get a, I got a call from uh, Rand Geiger, the producer. And uh, Rand works with Sean Levy, a director that I would tend to work with a lot. And he's like, hey, you know, we know you work on a lot of film, but we have this series that we're doing with Netflix. It's called Stranger Things. We think that you should come meet the Duffer Brothers. And so I did, and I read the script uh, and kind of came away from that. And I just made a few sounds on spec, and some of them were for the Demogorgon, some other things like that. I didn't have any visuals. I just sort of imagined a few ideas, sent them down while they were shooting, and little MP3s. And, um, and that sort of started the relationship of like, you know, what I could provide for them sonically. And out of that, we just sort of grew as a, as a, as a team, you know, in terms of the, the sound design and work. And then David, David came on when the show was sort of more in gear. Survive had already sort of started. Michael and Kyle, our composers, had already started um, doing some music. And the Duffer Brothers had used some of their music in some of their early, um, you know, uh, ideas of what they wanted the show to sort of sound like sonically. So that's, it, was, it happened pretty organically or naturally. Great. David, anything to add to that? Uh, uh, no, that all sounds sounds good. Accurate. Yeah, it's all four years ago. Yeah, I, I recall that exactly the same way. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Consensus is good. Okay, so uh, just to give you all a sense of kind of uh, size and scope, um, let's take a look at uh, the first clip that we have up. Is is the first? It's within the first few minutes of episode one, um, and um, you know the the, the big twist uh, this time is that the Russians are involved. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a sort of big military industrial sort of way. So this clip is going to give you um, a little bit of a sense of just the, the, the bigger size and scope of, of season three of Stranger Things. And we'll, we'll watch the clip over our shoulders and then we'll talk about it.
You know you've made it when you get la laser beams in your show, right? You know, it's, you're, each it's, time. it's not a show if you don't have laser beams. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I think, you know, Craig, obviously you spent a lot of time in the feature film world. Yes. Um, we, yeah. you know, we've, we've done panels before on, on Roma. I know you're just finishing up Terminator. Mm -hmm. So I, I, yeah, I know that the Duffer Brothers, you know, when they came to you, part of that thinking is we, we, want, we want the scale of this to feel like a cinema, a, a feature. But how do, you, how do you accomplish that within kind of the, the realities of delivering on a TV schedule and budget? Because uh, it really sounds, it sounds huge like a big movie. Compression and limiting and choice, choices and, and selectivity. The great thing about the Duffers is um, they've never been afraid to make really bold choices. Um, so, you know, although the mix, the mix and, and definitely Mark and David can talk further about sort of mixing and, and the challenges of that, but they've always given me at least a lot of sonic space. Um, and a lot of the trick with, with every show, pro, you know, any project you kind of do is to get sounds in early and get them in the Avid early and get them sort of used to the sounds. So my goal is always to sort of give them the best sounds as possible early. So this scene, for instance, they sent me this probably four months before our even official sound schedule sort of started. And that was similar to season one and season two. They, they would always send me clips of like, hey, can you work on this, the Demogorgon or what have you. Um, so, you know, and then obviously the scenes sort of dictate the size and scope of sort of what you want to do. Um, and in this season, because, you know, Will Files and I wanted to sort of amp it up a little bit because obviously visually they'd amped it up and, and the tension and the, with the Russians and the sort of just size and scope of the monsters in season three. Um, we knew that we needed to sort of um, make the sort of sonic real estate a little bit more muscular in, in that. Um, and also musically, they were gonna come to the stage with a lot of music and stuff. So uh, frequencies, you don't have to get too tech about it, but it's, it's, it's you know looking for frequencies and looking for sort of different low end things that work, not only in big speakers and, and that, but also in sort of like your small and your home speakers. And, and we would do a lot of testing back and forth early on about what would work and what didn't work. And then the other side of that is just making stuff that sounds fucking cool, you know, and, and then they like that, you know, and then sort of living in that world of, of um, you know, what the monsters are gonna sound like knowing not to paint yourself in a corner too much. So you sort of, I tend to make a lot of sounds early on and, and I try to take two or three weeks on every project, at least minimum at the beginning, even if I don't have picture, just to make ideas. And then I sort of use that to pull from for either sounds or inspiration or just source ideas of like how to get something to be as big as it needs to be, but still fit in the world of the project that I'm working on. Um, well, I, I would say to you all, you can get as technical as you want to, because I, I think this is a pretty geeky crowd, uh, and certainly our podcast audience loves loves nitty gritty detail when it, okay. whenever it whenever it comes up. So um, please feel free to uh, you know go as far off into the weeds as you, as you feel you want to on on that stuff. But I'm kind of curious. So it's eight episodes, which is roughly yes. eight hours of content. I think episode seven is a little over an episode eight, eight, eight is a little is over an hour. Yeah. yeah, that's the long one. But um, how did it? We were talking with the Carnival Row crew earlier this morning, and they—it was all out of order. They did—they started with episode five, and episode oh, one wow. was actually the last one that they did, right. because principally because of visual effects. Right. But I'm right. kind of curious, like, what was the what was the workflow for you guys? Did you think of it as an eight-hour piece? Did you were I presume you were working in episodes, but what was a typical schedule as you were going through? Um, does anyone else want to take that? No? I, I think we we thought of it as kind of eight big reels. Is the way we looked at it 
um, Will and I coming again predominantly from feature that's you know we just approached it the same it's just eight massive reels it's just a big movie right yeah essentially yeah um, and because of the Netflix format you know one of them isn't broadcast you can go back at any point so there were a few ideas we came up with like later in the season that we thought and it might be cool to go back to one and two and implement those ideas you know so it's nice we were talking about that this morning because like you know obviously as you're going through you may do something you think oh I would really love to go back and reopen up one of those earlier episodes and kind of either tease that this is coming or be informed by that approach so you were able to do that yeah and you know the amount of treatment on dialogue um, was just so much more than your average show and I think I sort of evolved as we went along and I, I you know I might do something later and I think that's cooler, you know, so I'll go back and make a change and it's nice to have that flexibility. That's the same as, you know, we would do if we were mixing an eight real movie, the same thing. Uh, you just mentioned um, treatment on the dialogue. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What were some of the, what were some of the dialogue challenges on this? I'll start by asking you, like, how were the production tracks and how did you, what, what, what were some of the, the dialogue treatment that you were talking about? Well, production tracks were great. Um, and also Ryan, the dialogue editor, just makes my life so easy. Um, so fortunately, you know, having to do such a quick premix and get in shape, um, I didn't have to do a whole ton of cleaning just because the quality was there. So I could focus more creatively, you know, and Craig touched on it earlier. The, the Duffers, I, d I don't think I've met two guys that encourage creativity like they do. You know, they just want you to try anything. and. If I thought I did something over the top, it w I never did. They wanted more, you know. And that's that's what the show is. It, I feel like <laughs> I would joke with Will and say, it's like this show was written for sound, you know. Like, I just can't do enough stuff that's cool that will survive. You know, and I do that all the time on every premix. I'll try ideas, just try little things here and there, and they don't always survive, but on this one they did. So there was a ton of, you know, delays and just just popping lines basically even obviously if you guys have seen it you know we have the upside down and all the different treatments that we try to keep consistent through the show but even just in normal dialogue scenes you know if it's a plot line or just something significant if I just ping some delay the guys record that you know and it started to become the style of of the dialogue through the whole season just in in terms of uh, you say ping some delay just in terms of like setting something off so that it's actually you know calls a little bit more attention to itself yeah because I've always tried to do that just to have that 3d effect you know so just to try and pop certain lines just depending on where the camera is and um, I've all I always see it as like I just to add something additional some kind of reverb or effect just to help it and if you're in that stylistic mode you start to really explore that and um, and it and it doesn't stick out because there's so much other design work going on around it. You know, it starts. It to actually enhances out. the design yeah. work, and yeah. it becomes it's it becomes part of it instead of it being sort of two separate layers, which is which is really fun for our sound designers because you know it's going to not just stop at the sound effects. It's going to it's going to go into the and also with the music. It's like a whole, you know, for for a show that's so adventurous sonically, it really does all gel together. And that's the you know it might not always be said, but that's sort of the unwritten sort of goal is to make sure obviously everything is sort of working. Yeah, and just to touch on something you were saying earlier, you know, we we were fortunate on this show we would have access to be able to see to view the episodes basically on different formats because for us, it, 
for me and Will anyway, it was the first kind of time we were in that environment. As you know, we, we're used to being in a room like this where the way we make it sound is the way the audience are going to hear it. And um, it was a new experience not to have that. And we worked out pretty quick that we can't rely on low end like we can here. It sounds cool in certain environments, and if you're going to listen to it on a 5.1 or whatever at home, and I think part of the way we made it sound big and bold is to not rely on the usual things that we would in a room like this, to make sure there's frequencies in the screen channels as well as the sub and, and, and you know, um, keeping that dialogue level flat so that the, the, the lower sounds can punch through and all those tricks that, that help it translate to sound big in, into the real world. Well, you say you weren't dependent on low end. However, um, I don't know. Yeah, there's still a lot of it. I don't know if we have this clip, but I want to. I, I got to ask you, like the it, because I, I found it really amusing the 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 footsteps on the Russian Terminator kind of guy. Oh. I, I I forget exactly what his name is, but every time he every time he he seemed like he weighed several thousand pounds. He 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 had a big presence, which of course you know. When he punches people, you know that you, you, you feel that in in your gut as well. So you you, did, you had you did use quite a bit of low end from time to time in the show. Oh, we did for sure, yeah. And you know that's that's, but everyone involved and the duffers particularly, they're not going to miss a trick just because there's some footsteps. Let's do something with them, you know. Let's use every opportunity to make a statement, and that was one of the coolest things about it. Um, David, this is a pretty, you know, music-driven show, and obviously part of the whole concept behind Stranger Things is that it's set in the '80s, and it's kind of a, it's an homage, uh, I think, to the to the kinds of movies that the that the Dover brothers, you know, were watching when they were when they were younger and, and growing up. Um, one of the things that just struck me as I was watching season three was, my God, what was the music budget on this on this show? There's so many great songs in it. I mean, can you talk about um, kind of the decision-making process around the songs and also how you balance that with score and kind of um, uh, how, the, how the music came together. Yeah, sure. Uh, so um, our, our music supervisor, Nora, uh, Nora Felder, um, uh, was responsible for finding the songs early on. Uh, she, I know before uh, even I started as, as music editor, she was sending a lot of ideas um, to the Duffers and you know they're, they're very, they have specific ideas in mind already. I think a lot of the, the choices were you know what they had come up with from the beginning. Um, you know, we, I think uh, it was 1985 this season, so we were all you know specific about finding songs that were released that year. Um, Kyle and Michael's score again. This is like the the third time around working with them, and um, I think they're they're brilliant. Their score has gotten better, bigger, and better, and um, they spent a lot more time. Uh, I think you know. They finally got, you know, season one, they would send a stereo mix and we were, we'd be stuck with just like, you know, finding ways. I'd, I would frantically call them from the stage, be like, look, can you just take that bell sound out? Just just send it without that and, and it'll work. And, you know, that now they're printing stems and, and you know, they got wider and wider. And um, and I think the challenge this year was, was uh, was you know the duffers were looking at the score out of context from from our mix and you know they would love these cues and then when we get there like like the the clip we just watched I remember I think Mark you took out tons of stems that like some things didn't even play we had to just like only have one stem going or something yeah you can imagine the first morning when we put the reel up and uh, when we played the premix and I heard that machine there's a lot and going how on there. awesome it sounded and then the cold sweats kick it kick in as I realize I've got to get some music through that you know, 
but the, again, the duffers, they'll look at that and they'll say, no, that's the machine's important here, so that they're not afraid to take things out, whether that's design or music, and you know, they'll make those decisions on the fly, which is a big part of why we get to where we get to. Yeah. Uh, let's take a look at the second uh, clip. Um, I think this is, uh, this is from episode two. This is Billy in the phone booth. You want to you wanna set this up at all? I think I just wanted to sort of like, we did a lot of like uh, what we refer to sort of as, as like glitch, glitch editing and stuff like that. And this sort of will demonstrate some of Mark's the, the dialogue treatments he was talking about earlier and just sort of how it meshes well with a lot of the distorted sort of glitchy stuff that we were doing sort of in the sound design. Um, and uh, yeah. Great. Let's run the second clip, please. Didn't have any dialogue in it. I'm sorry, Mark. <laughs> Let's talk about sound effects. Yes. <laughs> Worked really hard on those breaths. <laughs> That's my fault. Sorry, I should have made it a little bit longer. Uh, you did a really good job on it. Angelo and Katie, I'm curious to hear from you guys about, uh, um, uh, you know, this, the, the, the pace of this show is, is pretty fast. There's a lot happening uh, and, and a lot of stuff happening on the screen. And, and how did you guys approach the material and what were the challenges for, uh, for you guys from a, a, a sound effect standpoint? I mean, it was uh, a big focus was keeping it really big and heavy, chunky, and like, like kind of Craig set the tone with the sound design being very cinematic. And um, we kind of, I've worked with Craig many times, so I kind of knew going into it what was expected. So um, it was always keeping everything really heavy and, and bold and, and thick, like everything from cars to any of the doors and all the firework stuff and things like that, and just keeping it really uh, aggressive and, and interesting like that. And gore. That was the yeah, biggest thing that Angel's not talking about. We did a lot of, if the Duffers would always like, season one was like, you know, the monster was this way, and in season two, the monsters are this way, or the scares, or whatever they're, you know, if they had a mission statement for each series, or each season, uh, season three's mission statement was sort of to, to get as gory as you could possibly do, and, and if you've seen some of the episodes, you see how the, the rats that turn into the, you know, into the baby monster that then turn into the bigger monster. There's a lot of gore that, that uh, Angela and I had to sort of deal with and you know we recorded mud and other things like that, a lot of sloppy sort of stuff to make it, to make it feel that way. It was very wet. It was yeah, very wet. It was very gory. Stuff. There was a lot of bo bones popping out. Yeah, there's a lot of fighting back Katie, I just realized you don't have a microphone. This oh, is like, yeah. oh, you just, <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, oh, hello. Um, <laughs> I think actually I was gonna say based on the gore thing, um, th that was a like, a huge thing that I was uh, in on was making like these little extra textures when we would get visual effects updates, especially with the Mind Flayer. Um, and I think one of my favorite things with working with the Duffer Brothers is we both, like some of our favorite movies are creature features. 
And yeah, John Carpenter. John Carpenter's the thing gets referenced several times thing, in this movie, and it, aliens, feel, it was some, there was some homage action going on, right? Oh, totally. Yeah, there's lots of that, and I think one of, one of my favorite things about them is like they could never be grossed out enough. So you know, they would be like, "Can we get something even more gross here?" I'm like, "Okay." There you go. And I'm like, they're yeah. going to want to tone that down. And they're like, no, that's great. So when you have this kind of challenge about like, okay, well, I have rats that explode and then their bodies reform into this sort of upside down creature. From a, like, how do you start to even build what that sounds like? Did I take that? Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I use... Um, I use my voice a lot, actually. I do a I do a whole pass, and I use Dehumanizer a lot, and other Harmonizer plugins and stuff. And I literally try to perform uh, gurgles, and and I have like half a glass full of water, and I try to gargle and kind of do like stuff. And that gives me a roadmap, seriously. Um, and and some of that stuff I'll sort of and I'll go on loop record, and I'll just do long performances of that stuff, and then start cherry picking out certain things. Um, and that stuff tends to get you pretty far for the smaller creatures. Uh, and then I got into a thing this year by recording, again using Dehumanizer, um, but not just for my voice, but I actually would start getting props and, and little things around the house. So like uh, my ironing board has this great squeak, right? So it sounds great on its own, but if I ran it through Dehumanizer, but not in a post process, but actually performed it while it was live, you know, through Dehumanizer, then being recorded, I could actually get interesting little things like that. And I use a lot of that for, um, for not necessarily the bigger creatures, um, but for when the two little tentacles come out of the rat monster in, I think, episode three or 306 or 307. Um, so you start building sort of stuff from there. And then, of course, you get into like the bigger, you know, the bigger, uh, you know, either bears or, or wild beasts or elephants or, you know, uh, I, I use seals a lot in, in season one. So that, you know, I sort of leave those for the Demogorgon, right? So you start looking for That's part of the sound you establish for that specific for, creature. Yeah, right? exactly. So there's sort of like, you know, I try to sort of have little rules about, you know, maybe I'm going to make this creature with no animal or human sounds at all. And then I'll, I'll tend to do a week or so on that and try to just use, you know, whatever tricks we use as sound designers to, to figure that out. And sometimes that works really well. And other times it's a massive failure, but I think in the failures is, is kind of where sound design actually can become really interesting because you'll, you start finding these little nuggets that might not work for that, but they'll work, you know, two episodes or three episodes later. Um, but I feel like if the performance is there, um, or I try really hard to get the performance for the characters, because I, th I think the duffers always look at movies that, you know, you and Katie were just referencing, you know, um, or Gremlins is another one that sort of like popped up this year a little bit. A um, and yeah. it definitely popped up last year with the demo dogs and, and, and all that. So, you know, I have a little formula that way, you know, and I don't know what season four is going to be, but I'm kind of running out of ideas for monsters. So I'm hoping well, that one thing that was kind of neat with the monster was um, one thing I'm a big fan of is scraping stuff. So mm. there was one big scream with the creature in the hospital scene where I, uh, I just, we, kind of tag teamed it a little bit and, yeah. and I just kind of brought in these like really aggressive scrapes of anything I could scrape and just try to make it as vocal as I could. Yeah. And those, those seem to work out good with like the bone and the, the texture of the creature. Just scraping stuff seemed to kind of work with that. Well, I'm curious too just about the mechanics of trying to, you know, attack something of this size and scope. So Angela and Katie, like how did you guys, what was the division of labor? How, um, what, you know, who was responsible for what? Um, basically the workflow was, I, I got the episodes and, and cut, cut, cut the, 
cut the full shows and then handed it over to Katie, the stage, for any kind of ads and, and uh, stage support, fixes, updates, and then I would jump to the next episode and just start hammering it out, cutting, and just, I had about two weeks for each episode, which was, for me, was uh, awesome. Normally, I don't, on, a, on a, any kind of, like, streaming, broadcast, TV, I don't usually get that much time, but it just, it was, it was they were such big episodes, we kind of came at them like little movies, and, and Craig and I had just come off Alita Battle Angel, so we were kind of in that, like, big, big sounding mode already, so we, you know, I would just kind of, you know, hit it really hard and then hand it over to Katie to, to take it from there. Uh-huh. So now I'm understanding. So Katie, you, you're in the hot seat. You're on the mixing stage. So yeah. <laughs> when these guys play something back for the Duffers and it doesn't really quite work, then everybody turns and looks at you, right? Well, Will. Will well, luckily Will. that never really happened. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, we, you got to say, Will happen. Files is, is our, was our effects mixer. Yeah. You know, I saw him and Mark and Katie. Basically, the team on the stage was Mark and Dave and Katie and Will. And they are the ones that if the Duffers weren't, they were the front line for that. And Angela and I were sort of like either on to the next episode or you know, trying to help out on, on whatever. They coined cases. the phrase, we need a Katie special. Yeah. Um, which yeah. usually meant uh, get, get us something more disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More disgusting, all right. Uh, any, any, little, what, what, any little trade secrets? Uh, like how, how did you, what, 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 you know, what was the Katie special? Um, just really disturbing, usually. I, I mean, I started out like in sound doing like the Saw movies and like really disgusting gore. So that's sort of my specialty, I guess, unfortunately or fortunately. Um, but um, so, you know, if something was like not, you know, wet enough or not like disgusting enough, I don't know how else it's, they would just be like, Katie, like, I know exactly what you need. <laughs> just go and come back. And they're always like, are you okay? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that was a part of it. And Will's very detail oriented, as you can tell. And, if there was like one very, he'd be like, you know, there's this like one little thing like right here. Can we get like, you know, all these little details that would pop up, especially as they just kept getting more and more visual effects and more complex and a lot of destruction stuff came in later that I also added in, you know, like exploding lights and things like that. So um, it was yeah. a lot of fun stuff though. It was I mean, like, I presume it's the same story that we're hearing all the time, which is like, you know, there's no such thing as locked picture. Exactly. Visual effects are coming in late. You know, you're starting to mix without final picture, and things are. Yeah. Things, sometimes you get some surprises when visual effects show and, shots. So definitely show. cutting wise, for sure. Definitely sound design wise, for a lot of the creatures, it's just like you kind of go off of a few, a few frames or a little, a little clip, and then the rest of it's instinct, and and hopefully you don't back yourself into a corner. You know. Um, let's take a look at another clip. This is uh, this is from um, episode eight. Um, oh, never-ending story. Oh, so yes, it's a David Claude Spetzel here. <laughs> Speak up, David. Oh yeah, so never-ending story. Uh, uh, yeah, so er, I, earlier on in the season, I, I got a call from editorial saying we got a project for you. Um, you know, a couple actors sang the song "Never-Ending Story" live on camera, and we want you to try and put the original song to play it against against them. You know, to play underneath them singing. And uh, they sent me the the turnover, and it was it was such a mess that I, I just I threw my arms up in the air. I'm like, there's no way this is ever going to work. Um, but well, you know, so, but I like a challenge, though. So what did they turn over to you? What had they shot on set? What were they using? So, kind of how did yeah. it come to you? So they the, on set they had uh, they filmed the actors um, singing the song uh, a cappella with no click track or no guide track. So, yeah. So you can imagine how crazy that that sounds, right? So they're not even wearing like 
like earwigs or anything like that. No. They're just and I don't know how, how the gestation of the scene came about, or if it was like spontaneous or scripted or anything. But I just know that they'd ha- they'd shoot one of the actors singing singing the song, and then when they go to a different take, the actor would continue singing, but they're at a different tempo. <laughs> and then so I got this scene built together where every time they cut to a different shot, they were they were singing at a different tempo and sometimes a different pitch slightly. Uh, so. Um, you know, I, I called Dean Zimmerman, the editor, and said, this is a problem. We, I, I, I don't know how we're going to do this, but I, I, you know, I took a week and I, I basically made, I built a uh, sort of guide track of taking the actors singing. And I said, if there's any way we could get the, if you could line up the picture shots to land to match this guide track, then, you know, it, we might have a chance here. And so, and I, and I, so I, I, I did that. I sent him my guide track with a, with a click track, too. And you can actually tell that the, the song does speed up and slow down a little as you go, because there's just, there just no way to keep it one, one tempo. Uh, but Dean, uh, amazingly, was able to build the shots around my guide track. And so wait a second. You're saying that the picture team changed the picture to, to match the sound? I know. I, that never happens. When, <laughs> that never happens. Exactly. I, I felt so powerful. <laughs> Um, but then it got more complicated because then I took the original uh, Neverending Story song, uh, the Giorgio Moroder produced uh, track from the movie of the 80s, and I, I, it, was, it was so much faster than the original that I, I sped up the original track, and it, it kind of sounded ridiculous. It sounded like a club track. <laughs> and, um, and so we left it as like, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll do a re-record of it. And then, um, you know, the plan was that Kyle and Michael were going to eventually get around to doing it, and then... Um, they were just so busy and underwater with just trying to score the show. Um, I was like, well, you know, I've, I've got a few vintage keyboards. I even have some of the same things that Giorgio Moroder used. So I was like, I built a little, uh, a little backing track and um, sent it to the Duffers, and they were happy, and that's w- what ended up in the show. Composed by David. I yes. know, yeah. I arranged a Never Ending Story for him. And I thought I did an amazing um, mix of it, but then Mark kind of saved the day and actually fixed a lot of the vocals on, on, the, uh, on the stage. And had a lot of bass, and a, and a brilliant SSL bus compressor, which I will never, not ever use again. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Let's take a listen. Roll a clip, please. Turn around, look at what you see in her face. A mirror of your For the people who haven't watched season three, they're like, why is Hopper in a Russian uniform? Right, right. 
When I first saw that scene, I was like, did we jump the shark with the sequence? And, but we didn't. We pulled it off. No, because I saw it early on, too. I, I had the same reaction. I'm like, what? what? How did we get from episode <laughs> two to this? I had no idea. It was kind of crazy. Right? <laughs> yeah, says it, uh, to quote another very famous movie, such a fine line between clever and stupid, isn't it? There is. There is. Yeah, it's really great work. It's really fun. Uh, we do have one more clip, uh, or actually, well, we, we have potentially have two more. Well, two, but yeah. We don't have uh, to if we more. get to the last one, this is uh, this next clip is from episode seven, um, and it, uh, I, I had this as rat monster, shadow monster in the hospital. Oh yeah, so this will be like what we were talking about with the, uh, the gore that Angela and myself and Katie. Okay, so this is Katie's uh, shining this, moment Katie's, with lots uh, of uh, yes, lots a lot of, of gore from sound. yes, a lot of the Katie special of gore. Yeah, and so this is a—I mean—a lot like, like, like uh, we were saying previously. There's less time spent in season three in the in the uh, the upside, upside down, down world, right. but a lot more creature stuff going a on. A lot more creature stuff in this one for sure, and and even I, I, I didn't even read the scripts into seven and eight to understand that what I would figure would have been the bigger monster. It wasn't the bigger monster at all. The bigger monster shows up in later. Yes, yeah, there's always a bigger eight, monster. There's always a bigger monster, yeah. but. Uh, so this one was this was sort of built out of the rats and all that gore and sort of like the vocal ideas that we we're talking about and all that kind of stuff. And then this is a showdown. Uh, well, you know, the, the monster's in the hospital and is after Na after all of them, but after Nancy for sure. So it's a little clip of him reforming, I think. And yeah, this was a pretty intense yeah. thing to work on. I mean, yeah. It was like just tons of fights, like big big doors, the creature, the the tons of gore. It was just like this, and then the lights were constantly. Look, that kind of stylized lighting thing that that Stranger Things kind of Craig established early on, and um, yeah, this was really an, a fun one to do. This is a lot. We should probably give a shout out to your Foley team as well, because one of the things that I one of the things I noticed about season three definitely is people just get the shit kicked out of them. Like this is, they, they get they, they get they get beaten up a lot right. in this in this show, which I presume so. I presume a lot of that fell on your Foley team, right? Yeah, Steve ba Steve Bain is our was our Foley artist this year, and and Stephen Pete and and uh, the guys at Foley one for sure do a great job. Great, let's roll the clip. It's a whole new experience hearing that three feet from a sub speaker. Right. <laughs> so I'm sorry, say it again. What? It's a whole new experience hearing that three feet from a sub speaker. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say no sub, right? But I, you're right. Yeah, we are sitting right on top of it. So it's a, it's a, little, it's a little intense sitting up here. Um, but only 5'1". Yeah. yeah. I, I know that you work for Dolby. Well, you know, maybe season four. Maybe. We, we've slowly convinced him to do an Atmos um, you know, version. So we'll get there. Yeah. Of course, they, they would probably respond, well, Atmos didn't exist in the 80s, so, you know. Right. right. <laughs> we should be doing a mono or, like, early, early stereo, maybe. That'd be great. Well, hey, Mark, that wouldn't be, Mark, that wouldn't be a challenge at all, right? Uh, no, I'm, I think I'm busy that, that time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did that ever come up sort of, like, originally on the concept for the show? I mean, obviously, sort of visually, the show is echoing 80s films. Right. Was right. there any kind of conversation about like what was happening in sound in movies in the 80s? Or? No, not, yeah. not really. I mean, we'd never really, I mean, if I look, think back at season one and two, 
they never ever they've they've never been Matt and Ross have never been guys to say you know the thing or you know pick any movie you know um, it's kind of obvious right you know and and so but they've never been like direct listen to this and directly lift it or or listen to that for inspiration and stuff like that um, it's just been sort of known to sort of go into that wheelhouse you know and I, I think for me the you know the first few cues of music that I got you know back in season one when the early sound design that I was doing I was like oh this is gonna work really really well um, I thought initially that the score was going to be maybe more orchestral and stuff, which would have been challenging to sort of on a different level to, to get our sounds through. But there's a lot of scenes in, in, in every season, but season one and two particularly where you'd think is music, but it's actually sound design and vice versa. There's stuff that they've done. That's very sound designy. Um, you know, that, it's just an interesting back and forth. Was that know? kind of a happy accident or were there I, actually conversations I that happened between of, you guys and the music team? I think a composers? bit of both. I think a bit of both. And I think we, the great thing about them, we do, we do these fantastic spotting sessions where we're all, we're all there together usually. Right. And that's usually doesn't usually happen. Usually you guys just, and the composers yeah, are actually yeah, spotting at all, the same time. All of us and, and, you know, um, would go and, and composers are there and we would, and a music supervisor as well. Um, and in our picture editors and we would basically hash out, you know, who's going to do what? Yeah, a little bit. And, you know, you still get to the stage and Mark, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you still get those sort of, you know, sonic train wrecks of like, oh, you know, we, we got to do this. We got to do that. And so there's always that sort of on the stage mixing of like what's important for the story, you know, and that's obviously where we always come back to um, even all the cool, fun stuff that we make. It's still story driven, hopefully. It's um, interesting because the music yeah. is written almost for emotion, the music is like the essence of the show in a way. It's not necessarily mm. scored directly to picture like a traditional score. So you're able to even swap it out at times. If it's the wrong feeling, the duffers have no problem. What, you know, we remember this thing they've showed us and we'll swap it out. And we can almost decide how much music we want it to be because of the separation they give us. Is it cooler to take the melodies out and just have a weird sound designy moment does it work better with what these guys have done or or should we pull all that more ethereal music out and go with melodies and make it more traditional score you know we can make those decisions to seeing how it sits with everything else so it does that does that work because am i hearing you say that the like the score is sort of more kind of atmospherically driven as opposed to like hard hits on specific picture yeah i think cuts. it captures a feeling you know, whether it's nostalgia for the, with the 80s theme or just some emotion depending on the scene, you know, so it, it gives you a flexibility within the scene to to move around. You know, we're not stuck within a sync reference or sometimes we are. Well, I was going to say also uh, a lot of the a lot of the score, uh, the Duffers are, are getting a library from Kyle and Michael early on and they're just listening to all this stuff and then and they they'll they'll grab something put in a scene and you know that becomes the cue of the scene it's nothing that was originally written for it mm. and um, you know eventually maybe they'll come around and and uh, reshape it to you know because they're like we like this but it just needs a little turn here or there and then you know they'll do another version of it but we do a lot of that on the stage too yeah, with the we, we can almost give them an example like this is what we played around with this is kind of what we're going for uh, and then they can make their changes to it you know and use it as a guide almost yeah uh, I'm hearing a lot of experimentation on the mix stage uh, with the with the Duffer Brothers. So, how many like what's a, what was a typical schedule uh, on the episodes, or did you, I mean, you how many days per episode? Kind of how did that go for mix? We essentially would play back 
the, the first version on the fifth day, but Will and I would split up for two days. To so do you'd mix simultaneously on two separate stages? Pre-mixing, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then so I would do two days or so of pre-pre-mixing before it went to Will so that he could think more creatively versus just getting the sound effects and all the foley and everything that yeah, basic you know, we had cut. So the basic balance, I wouldn't be applying reverbs on and sub, but that's- So you, you were know. feeding him what 5.1 sort of pre-pre-mixes? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so we all work in the same template and, and basically it's a template I had for the first two seasons and we just, when these guys came on board, we inherited that as, as, the, as the idea. Uh, and then Mark and, and Will would do their two days of, of mix or day and a half or whatever it took per episode. Some episodes took more, others took less um and then they'd, you'd mix together for three three yeah. yeah we tried to do one day pre-mix and i think will took one look at my face at the end of the first day <laughs> as i tried time. to pre-mix <laughs> an hour of dialogue in one day and we you know we made we made our changes and, and that was working out well for us in the end it gave us a good balance between both of us getting in shape and clearing out and yeah. being prepared but also having enough time to play around you know because we didn't want to be in a situation of Fortunately, having Craig do his past first put us in this situation where we were able to experiment, you know, and play around with different treatments and different ideas and, and rather than just scrambling to put the thing together. The goal is the cinematics. It's the yeah. goal is the, is the film idea, right? Like to just have more time getting your ducks in a row, for lack of a better way to put it, you know? So yeah, that totally. When, they do, when it does get to the stage that these guys can go for it, you know, and, and think about reverbs and delays and other things versus most, a lot of TV schedules, as a lot of people know here, don't allow that time, you know? Right. And It's kind of a great workflow, actually, because, you know, I, I, would, I would work directly with Craig, really. My sessions were going straight to him, so then he had his few days to kind of lasso it all together and do his thing to it. Then it got to the stage and it was like everything was just humming by that point, and then and then Katie could step in and do anything that came, you know, any updates and all that. And so it, it was really a streamlined process. Kind of, so it's kind of a nice uh, example to for other. <laughs> well, yes, if, if that's even possible. So you would work for about five days, and then the Duffer Brothers would show up, and then kind of what would happen after that? Yeah, so we'd play back on the fifth day for Rand, um, which would kind of be like a playback for us as well. And then we'd spend an afternoon doing notes. Um, and then we play for the Duffers on the morning of the sixth day, basically. And then how long we would spend mixing after that would be determined by what they want to do with and, it. And, right. and then studio playback and yeah. Netflix execs would come in and, and whatever. And then I think you guys would also put mixes up on picks so that would go to Sean and other people that want to listen to certain things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it was a typical, was like seven, eight days? Kind of what, how, how did it? I think Snug we, in, usually. I, I mean, the original sort of, you know, budget or whatever it was like, can we do, can we do two episodes in 13 or 14 days kind of, you know, and in season one, it was like, could we do two episodes in 10 days kind of stuff. And so as the show has grown, obviously every part of the project has sort of grown and thankfully sound has been respected enough that we've been able to sort of grow with it. And, and, uh, and I'm surprised they didn't come back to you and say, well, we're spending more money in production. So you're cut, right? Yeah. We're down two days. That's all you get. <laughs> Um, we're going to take some questions from the audience, but before we do, I wanted to just ask you, like a lot of the show this season happens um, either in the Russian bunker or yeah. in the in the shopping mall, which I presume were built sets. The, the mall's a real mall. The, but but yeah. I, was it like a decommissioned mall or something like that? The production design did an amazing job recreating everything that I remember from the 80s in these shopping malls. I, I think it was. Think yeah, it was, I think was I remember. Yeah. Was it decommissioned? Partially yeah. Oh, okay. so it was a partially abandoned mall, but it was actually still a working mall. Like half right. of it was working, and then the other half was like 
abandoned, I guess. So yeah. they took that part and just completely set dressed it. With so much time of the show taking place in these kind of locations, did that present any kind of sonic acoustic challenges in, in, in terms of like keeping keeping it interesting air, air, well, or taking out the air conditioning? Air conditioning was the first panic phone call from the first episode of like uh, Scoops Ahoy where they're in the ice cream shop and, and I don't know what they had. And it's Atlanta, so I don't know if it was summer. It must have been summertime, so it was extra hot or something. Summertime Anyways, in Georgia, was, nice. Yeah. yeah, so there was a lot of hum and a lot of things that they were like in a panic of like, can this work, you know? And uh, Yeah, let's take some questions. Any uh, any questions? Yeah, um, so I mean, the, uh, you know, the obvious big design moments are amazing. The mechanicals, the creatures, just so much cool stuff. But I mean, everything else in the show too, from doors, can down, just... Uh, all the little motions just had such great uh, detail and, and 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 clarity, and I'm I'm wondering just sort of you know what what was what would go through your brain when you would find like when you know you're looking at your library and what elements really like stood out to you to because it, it feels like everything was such a just a wonderful confident sound choice, um, and I'm I'm wondering how wow you guys well thank that. you that's very kind of you I think. You know, being season three, you know, kind of getting to see where the duffers are at, you know, and, and how much they like to sting everything, even if it's, a, a you know, for in, in any other episode, it would just be a door opening and stuff. And we got to put this huge boomer on it or stinger on it and stuff. I think there's a part of that. Um, and and also just uh, I think our approach from from editing was to sort of make things sort of as, as big as we, we could. Um, I don't want to say there's not a there's a comical is not the right word, but action movie esque sort of vibe to this. You mentioned the Russian footsteps and stuff, and and so this show kind of it's it's a believable thing, and, and you know you can get away with it. You know, as in other projects, you wouldn't be able to really maybe push it as much. You know, um, so that just left us the ability to sort of like try different things, and you know we wouldn't use a regular door open. It would be you know it might be something else with an explosion underneath it or some other helpers you know um uh it was just uh that's been an evolution over the last few episodes or seasons sorry and uh and sort of just knowing what they like and knowing that will will won't be afraid to play it if we cut it you know is, is another point you know and him and i really came up with a plan early on for this season was like this is going to be we want to really amp it up and we want to take it another level and uh you know, so once we figured out our formulas for, you know, to fit it in to the, the broadcast sort of spec, we, we were really able to sort of like find the certain frequencies and certain sounds that would fit. But as you say, the show has a sense of humor about itself. Yes. And that yeah. opens up a whole world of sound design possibilities right. that might not be open to you otherwise. Right. And again, yes. And and they, as I think Mark mentioned earlier, they are into it. They There's never... There's never a too far or a, and, and I'm not, I don't mean that in a bad way or in a, in a way it's just they are really interested in exploring a lot of different things as, as you want in your directors, you know, and that's what those guys are like. Yeah. Not to be greedy, but two, if you can get to them. Um, just first is the if you could just tell the size of the stage you were working in um, and the channel count speaker wise, um, was it more of a TV oriented small near field stage or was it a theatrical stage? It was a smaller stage and that was a conscious decision. Conscious, yeah. um, you know, we coming from this environment to, and mixing um, content that people are going to see like this made sense to me, but to to work in a room, even though the, it, the show would sound awesome, to work in a room like this and then, you know, 90% of people are going to see it on a smaller environment. We wanted 
to make sure that it was going to translate. So it was a kind of conscious decision and, and, and a talk that we all had before we started mixing that we'd go into a smaller room. Um, did you have any special we tools and to we'd check? mix in five one as well. Did you have any special tools to check your down mixes and see, or, or just to go down to a smaller format, like we maybe did sound some, bars um, or anything like that? We did some pretty extensive limiting tester. So we, you know, we had a quite refined process that we do for the two tracks, for example, to make sure that they carried through. And we were lucky enough on this show to be able to uh, essentially check the episodes on Netflix on a kind of secure account before we'd even finished mixing them. So we were able to listen, f you know, everywhere from our iPhones up through to like a soundbar and whatever. And and actually we, we all kind of came back after the first episode and had similar conclusions. Um, and we made adjustments going forward for the next seven episodes, which kind of just stuck. And, and was it, that and was that basically because of specific things that that the the Netflix platform was doing and as it streamed in terms of changing some of the acoustic characteristics and then yeah, you and you basically tacked for that. Yeah, and I don't know if it's necessarily just Netflix; it's just um, streaming in general. Yeah, or just just to produce a mix that can stand up in any format basically right, right down to a phone because as we know lots of people look that's how they're going to watch it so we wanted to make sure that you know one of the things when we talked about earlier was we were losing some of the low end or obviously it seems obvious because you don't have that range of frequencies but that then means that if we focus on never relying on it We'll, you know, we'll never, for example, lose like the bass drum in the music or something. If I f if I put a bump in frequency somewhere where that an iPhone can can register it, um, then we know it's going to translate into that environment. So there's a whole bunch of things we did like that throughout the frequency range and throughout the just the balancing process that meant that you know we knew it was going to be represented. Well, that's all the time that we have. I want to thank uh, these guys for coming and talking to us about uh, Stranger Things Season 3. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our conversation about the sound and music of Stranger Things 3. Please join us again next week when we talk with the team behind the Amazon original TV show. Until then, this is Glenn Kaiser from the Dolby Institute.